We've been on a series in the book of Luke going back to February of last year, just taking our time and moving through it um, and digging in uh, to see what God would show us there. And I'm just so excited it happened to just line up. I didn't force it in there, I promise, where we come to Passion Week in the book of Luke right here, Easter Sunday morning. So that's a blessing. And Luke chapter 23 is where we'll be. And I want to give you just a quick uh, catch up to where we are. Uh, but, but today, in simple, we're going to talk about how Jesus became what we were so that we might become what he is. Jesus became what we were so that we might become what he is. And just like we do on the TV shows, you know, previously on this show, previously in the book of Luke, Jesus had come into Jerusalem for the Passover after ministering uh, for about three years. He comes in to a king's welcome, a hero's welcome, and there's people celebrating him. Blessed is the king. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. There's great fanfare, and it's almost like a coronation. It's almost like he's about to be named king of Israel there in Jerusalem. And those that opposed him thought it looked like that as well. They opposed him because he came preaching the kingdom and for many reasons that was an offense to them. He came preaching the kingdom and that it would be open, but that it would be open to everyone regardless of who you are, regardless of where you come from, and regardless of what you've done before that. He preached that it was open to all who believed. He was the Messiah and that was an offense to them because they considered themselves to be above others. And it says that they began to look for a way to kill him, to be rid of him. And we saw last week he was betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane by one of his own disciples. He was arrested under cover of darkness by those that opposed him, the temple leaders and the, and the police from the temple. And he was taken before kangaroo court of the high priest of Sanhedrin and then even the Roman governor, Pilate. He was falsely accused. He was beaten. He was mocked and he was stripped and whipped by unjust judges. But even in the midst of that, we talked about the Roman governor who was over that area for Rome. Rome was occupying Jerusalem at the time. The Roman governor, Pilate, who was not a good man, said, I don't find any reason to punish this man that you brought before me. I don't find any fault in him. I want to release him. Remember, they brought him to Pilate because the Romans were the only ones that could use the death penalty and they wanted him done away with. We read last week how Pilate wanted to release Jesus. He wanted to release him. Even he knew that Jesus had done nothing wrong, but the mob continued to shout, do away with him, get rid of him, crucify him. And Pilate even three times said, why? I don't find any fault in him. Crucify him. Why? He's, he doesn't seem to have done anything wrong. We want to be rid of him. Why? And over and over their voices cried out for crucifixion and their voices won out. And he handed them over. He handed Jesus over to their will, to execution and crucifixion on the cross. So the same Jesus that came into Jerusalem, came into the city as a hero with a king's welcome, just a few days later had been beaten, mocked, stripped, and scourged. And I want to pick up in verse 26 of chapter 
23. It says, as they led him away, away where to be crucified, they seized Simon, a Cyrenian, who was coming in from the country and laid the cross on him to carry behind Jesus. A large crowd of people followed him. Do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and your children. Look, the days are coming when they will say, blessed are the women without children, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things, when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? So Jesus is carrying the cross. We believe that he gets to the point that he can't. So they grab someone else and say, here, you carry it. A man named Simon who had come in from outside the city. Says he was a Cyrenian. Well, he came from that far away. Or if that's just where he was from. But he came from outside the city. That's what you did during Passover. There was a pilgrimage to the holy city to worship God together. And they, the Romans, could force anyone to do work for them. So they said, hey, come here. You carry it. You carry it behind him. So Simon is carrying Jesus' cross behind him. And it's an image of how in sin we carry the burden of the cross upon us. We carry the judgment of sin upon us, the doom that comes with that. Simon would have been like you and me, deserving of that judgment, deserving of the cross that he carried, but he wouldn't be the one that would be nailed to it. He carried it to its place for Jesus. They carried him outside the city. It said there were followers, there, there, there were ladies following along and they're mourning and they're lamenting, but he had compassion on them. He's gone through all of this and he said, don't weep for me, weep for yourselves. Because if they'll do this, it says, if they'll do this when the wood is green, what will they do when it's dry? What's he talking about there? If they'll do this to me when I'm innocent and I've done nothing, what waits for the rest of you at the hands of these lawless people. And we read earlier in Luke when he told them the temple is going to be destroyed. Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. That's coming. And we know it was coming in 70 AD when Rome would just clear the whole place out. So you see Jesus even still operating as a prophet, right? Doom is coming. Repent. Doom is coming. Judgment is coming. Repent. And then in verse 32, it says two others, criminals, were also led away to be executed with him. When they arrived at the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. He said two others who were criminals were taken with him, brought to pass what he said would come to pass, right? That he would be counted among the lawless. So it took him to Golgotha, the place of the skull. If you've ever wondered about the difference there too, where was Jesus crucified? Golgotha, Calvary, it's the same thing. It's just two different words. One is uh, Greek, Golgotha. One is Latin. It means the skull, the front of the head, probably just a bald hill outside the city that looked like the top of somebody's head. And then it was named the skull based on what went on there. We know it would have been right by the road. How do we know that? Because when they crucified people, they wanted it to be visible. They wanted people to see it. They wanted the crucifixions to be public. When they nailed you to a cross, they wanted people to see it. Let's talk about the cross for a minute. It wasn't just a means of execution, right? 
There's a lot of ways to kill somebody. You can do it quickly. It wasn't about that. It wasn't just about killing someone. It was about torturous pain and shame before you died. They would nail your hands to the cross and then you would hang, your own body weight would cause you to hang down and you wouldn't be able to breathe. The only way to breathe would be able to pull yourself up on the wounds through your hands and through your feet. Normally they were stripped naked when they were crucified. Why? They wanted it to be an object of shame. Not just death, not just execution, but pain and torture. Public humiliation. They wanted to make an example out of you. It was how they kept order. They would crucify people beside the road. So when you're coming into town, you see what it looks like when you go afoul of the authority. You see what it looks like when you rebel. You see what it looks like when you get out of line and kept people submitted. As a tool, and it was a symbol that represented death, pain, shame, tortured and what being dominated by Rome. It was their way of saying we're in charge here. This is what they did to Jesus. It says they crucified him there with two criminals. Again, he was counted among the lawless. In verse 34, then Jesus said, when did he say this? When they had nailed him to the cross, he said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. And they divided his clothes and they cast lots for them. So we saw the prophet. Now we see the priest still a mediator between God and the people. God, forgive them. God, don't count this against them. They don't know what it is that they're doing. Verse 35, then the people stood watching and even the leaders were scoffing. He saved others. Let him save himself. If this is God's Messiah, the chosen one, says the soldiers also mocked him. They came offering him sour wine and said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. See, this is part of that crucifixion. There's mocking and contempt and shame. Not just death and pain, but also intense effort to shame. Saying, if you're the king of the Jews, if you're the Messiah, save yourself. Why aren't you saving yourself? Then you come preaching the kingdom. What was that about? You're a fool. You're a joke. And remember, he, come in, he had come into the city to a king's welcome, a hero's welcome, just a few days before they were saying, blessed be the king, it's time. It's time for the kingdom of God to take rule and reign here in Jerusalem. And then now they're looking at him saying, I thought you were supposed to be a king. Kings don't go to crosses. Kings put people on crosses. What are you doing here if you're the king of the Jews? See, they didn't know. They didn't see that he is a king, the king of kings and the kingdom of God was at hand. And remember, Jesus said everything that was prophesied about me, everything that the prophet said must come to pass. And he said, the son of man must be handed over. He'll be mocked. He'll be insulted. He'll be spit on and he'll be killed. But he'll also rise on the third day. Remember when he told him that we talked about it. Tell him, nephew. And also he said, 
I lay down my life. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down so that I can take it up again. He said, I'm the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. So we see him enduring this torturous pain, this attempt to shame and mock him. And we know that he did it willingly. He went willingly. He chose to do this. He could have stopped it at any point, but he chose to do it. And so why is the king on the cross? Why is this happening? When Jesus was warning the disciples, letting them know this is going to happen. I don't want you to be surprised. I don't want you to be thrown off by this. This is going to happen. He quoted Isaiah chapter 53 when he said, I will be counted among the lawless. He was telling them, don't be surprised if people hate you because you're about to see them hate me. You're about to see them hate me. I'm going to be counted amongst the lawless. It must be fulfilled in me. So if we're asking why would the king go to the cross, let's look at what he quoted. Let's look at Isaiah 53 real quick. You can turn there if you want. I'm going to read it. Isaiah 53. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. The whole chapter is amazing. But for the sake of time, I want to start in verse 4. It's talking about the suffering servant of God the Father. It said, yet he himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion. He was crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him. And we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We have all turned to our own way and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep silent before her shearers. He did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment and who considered his fate for he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion and he was assigned a grave with the wicked because he but he was with a rich man at his death because he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. When we read this. It's the idea of atonement. It's a word from the Old Testament. Atonement meant to satisfy the wrath of, to cover over something. It's even the word used when Noah was building the ark and it said he sealed it with pitch. It's the, it's the same word for atonement, to cover something, to seal it or to satisfy the wrath of. In Psalms it says, who but you alone can atone for our sins. Who but you can atone for our sins? We can't do anything about this on our own. The psalmist knew it. We know it today. And thankfully, it was prophesied in Isaiah that one would come that would be pierced for us. That the chastisement of our peace, the punishment for our peace, what would be necessary to bring peace for us, what is that peace between us and God? That he would come and he would take that on himself. That's the heart of the cross that God in Christ substituted himself for us 
sinners. Again, Christ became like we were so that we could become like he is. So when we see the cross, we see his love. He came in love. And we also have to see that our sin is what made the cross necessary. It was my punishment, the wrath that was due me because of my sin. He was pierced because of my rebellion. He was crushed because of my iniquity and the chastisement of my peace. The punishment for my peace was upon him. He paid the price for my peace with God. My peace with God, my relationship with God is my only hope of ever being at home. Remember, we talked about that. So we see in Jesus, he's our prophet. He's our priest and he is our humble king who takes upon himself the sins of his people. Amen. Let's look back in Luke. We're up to verse 37. The soldiers mocked him. They gave him sour wine and said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription above him read, this is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him. Don't you even fear God since you are undergoing the same punishment as this man? We are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things that we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. This man has done nothing wrong. You got one sin. You're just a joke. You were supposed to be the king. Get down. Get me down. Come on. Hey, how about that? Right? And the other one's like, what is wrong with you? Don't you fear God? You're hanging on a cross. You're justly being punished for what you've done. But you look at this man. He's not done anything. He saw it too. He saw what Pilate saw. This man is faultless. This man is sinless. That's what I mean. It's noticeable even on his countenance, even in that state. And then something pretty awesome happens. He said, we're punished justly. We're getting back what we deserve for the things that we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he turns to Jesus and he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. He repents Right. Change the way that you think. Repents, believes and receives. So notice that the first recorded instance of someone being ushered into the kingdom of God that would be brought about by Christ's sacrifice wasn't uh, wasn't a king, wasn't a Pharisee, wasn't somebody who had done awesome stuff all of their life. It was a thief who was justly being crucified on a cross. How unlikely that is, how strange, how special, how beautiful that is and how much hope it gives to you and me that he didn't go get. Let me get the best one. Let me get the one who's done as much right as he can do. Let me get the one who's amassed the most wealth. No, the first one in through the cross was a thief. And now it was about noon. And darkness came over the whole land until three, because the sun's light failed. The curtain of the sanctuary was split down the middle. And Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. And saying this, he breathed his last. 
So we see the immediate effects of what he has done. He dies and look what happened. The sun was dimmed. Why? First of all, how? I don't know how. Why? Because the glory that was revealed by the crucified king dimmed the very sun that day. It says the curtain in the temple was torn in half. If you know anything about that, it was the curtain that separated where the normal folks could go from the Holy of Holies, where the very presence of God was to dwell. And we weren't allowed in there. We couldn't go in there. Why? Because we would probably die as sinful people to go into the presence of a holy God. Death would be imminent. So we were kept out. But it says when he was on the cross, the curtain was torn. And it says elsewhere, from the top to the bottom, where we were kept out because of our sin, we could now come boldly before the throne of grace. Saying this, he breathed his last. When the centurion saw what had happened, he began to glorify God, saying, this man really was righteous. All the crowds that had gathered for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, went home striking their chests. But all who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Our king enthroned on a cross for us. Crucified for us. Again, loving absolutely. How loving how loving it was for love that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. But never forget, it was your sin that made it necessary. So we see how awful it was and we go, man, he loved me so much to go through that. Yes, but look at what he had to go through for your sin. Look at what it took. The cross doesn't show me my worth as much as it shows me his worth. I have worth because Christ died for me. Again, this is important. I have worth because Christ died for me. Before that, Scripture will tell me I had nothing that I could hang my worth on. Amen. And we see in verse 50, it says there was a good and righteous man named Joseph, a member of the Sanhedrin who had not agreed with their plan and action. He was from Arimathea, a Judean town, and he was looking forward to the kingdom of God. Remember when I said when Isaiah said he would be with a rich man when he died? This is that rich man. He was looking forward to the kingdom of God. He approached Pilate and asked for Jesus's body, taking it down. He wrapped it in fine linen and placed it in a tomb cut into the rock where no one had ever been placed. Which is weird, right? I mean, how many secondhand tombs were there? Obviously, this one was going to be. But it was like, hey, I got a tomb that I'll let you use. Nobody's even been laid in there before. Well, I mean, yeah, I would think so. Anyway, it could have been like, I don't know, you don't make your payments, you get evicted. I'm not sure. Anyway. It was the preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin. 
The women who had come with him from Galilee followed along and observed the tomb and how it, his body was placed. Then they returned and prepared spices and perfumes, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. So listen, you didn't just leave somebody hanging on the cross overnight. It was bad enough to be on there, but it was even worse to leave somebody there overnight. But they were in a hurry because it was Friday. And the Sabbath began on Friday at sundown. Observing the commandment, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. They were going to rest on the seventh day as was commanded. Remember, God created, rested on the seventh day because the work was complete. So here you have Jesus. We know in the book of John, when he was on the cross, he said, it is finished. Which means what? The work was done. The veil was torn on the cross. Jesus' redemptive work was done on Friday. And then his body rested in the grave on the Sabbath. And then Sunday morning. The third day, not three days later, if you've ever done that math, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it's not. It's the third day. He was crucified on Friday, rested in the grave on Saturday and on Sunday was raised to begin the new age of grace. The resurrection didn't finish the work, but it proved that the work was finished. Does that make sense? Why? Because death had to give him back. His sacrifice was enough once and for all time was sufficient for all who would believe. Look, it says there on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb who the women's were coming back with the spices that they had prepared to anoint the body, as was the custom. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in, but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Asked the men. He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, It is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day? And they remembered his words. The resurrection proved that the work was finished. Again, it, it, it's, it's simple and it's also grand and magnificent that Jesus became what we were so that we could become like he is. Amen. I've got two thoughts out of this that I want to share with you really quickly. And then we'll be ready to go. But listen, if you ever doubt the power of his redemptive work, the redemptive work of Jesus, consider the cross. Consider the cross because the cross was nothing but a curse. It was the worst, the most shameful. And it was a symbol of torturous painful death more than we can imagine suffering death and shame and yet here sits a reminder of it right here 
sitting right here. We see them all over the place. Why? Because what Jesus did even changed the cross. What he did changed the identity and the image of the cross. What used to portray weakness now shows me a symbol of strength. What used to portray pain, I see my peace. What was shame has become glory to God. He changed the cross. What would have consumed us has become our banquet table in the kingdom. What would have eaten us alive has become our most blessed remembrance. What they wanted to do when they put Jesus on the cross was to change Jesus. Why? He had this personality, this identity. He was the coming king. He was getting all this attention. The people loved him. They said, we've got to change this. We've got to erase all of that. The only thing that can do that is the cross. They wanted to change Jesus using the cross. But he changed it. And so much so that he used it to change us. You see the reversal there. They wanted to use it to destroy him. He used it to destroy death, hell, and the grave. If you ever doubt the power of his redemptive work, look at the cross. He changed it. Can he change you? Because that was just a byproduct. That wasn't even the intended purpose. That just happened along the way. He did it to change you. He did it to change me. And look how much he changed it. He took away the death, the sin, the shame, the pain of it, and he changed it. And he can change all those things in us. It's a miraculous transformation. And if he can do that for a block of wood in antiquity, what will he do for you who he loves infinitely? He changed the cross. He can change me. Such a transformation. And that same level of transformation and even greater is available to us in Christ. It's available to us in Christ. That's the first thing. He even changed the cross. He can change you. He can change me. And then the second thing. When they came to the tomb, they brought the spices and thing they were expecting to be dealing with a dead man. Anointing his body. So that he would at least die with some level of honor in that resting place. But they got there and the stone was rolled away. And as they're perplexed about it, two angels appear. And what did they say? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? And what they meant was. Why are you looking for Jesus here? This is where the dead people go. He's not dead anymore. He's risen. He's risen. Don't you remember what he said that he would rise on the third day? But what we can take away from it is how much of our life is spent looking for living things among dead things. And wanting dead stuff to give us something that's alive. How much of our life is spent in those pursuits 
Because again, we talked about it last week. We have the desire on the inside of us for perfection, for shalom, peace, with nothing broken and nothing missing. But we look for it in dead places. How much of our life is spent looking for life, health, validation, and peace, but looking for it in dead places? When there's only one place we can find it, there's only one place we can find that life. There's only one place we can find that peace. There's only one place we can find that strength, and it's in the presence of the crucified king. It's in his presence. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Think about that. When you get frustrated, when you get anxious, when you get afraid, when you get in a bad way, are you looking for life in dead places? Expecting it to give you something that it never, ever can. Amen. I hope this has blessed you. I hope it's encouraged you. I hope it's been a reminder to you of who he is and what he did and why he did it. And I hope these two things stick with you. That he was able to change the cross. Can he change you? And why would I look for life in dead places? And I hope that rolls around in you this week. And if it does, don't shake it off. Don't shake it off, but let him work. Because the good work that he started in us, for us, is still going on on the inside of us all the way till we get home. Amen. Listen, there were many when he was on the cross that were, they were just mocking him mocked the king, mocked the cross, and went on about their day. But there was at least one that day who looked at the cross and said, I deserve this, but you didn't deserve this. I deserve this, but you went willingly. You've done only good. Even as I continued my rebellion, you were doing good. And then that one said, I want to live in the kingdom with you. I want life in the kingdom with you. And what did Jesus say? He said, come on, we'll go together. I'll show you. He is risen. It changed even the cross. And that's that same power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. Amen. It will change us. So don't look for life in dead places. Look for it in the only place it can be found in him. Amen. And if you'll come, we'll get ready to sing together. But I want to pray with us before we go to seal this. I know we got a lot of things going on today, but nothing is more important than this. Amen. Father, thank you. Thank you that we can clearly see Christ in Scripture crucified on our behalf, that he became like we were. He put on human clothes like the ones we wear, and he was obedient even unto death on the cross. And I thank you, Lord, that it was there that he was pierced for our transgressions, that the punishment for our peace was upon him. I thank you that the only one qualified to do the work did the work. 
And I thank you for the atonement for our sins that we find in that, the covering over, the sealing that happened in that moment for all who would believe. That this is how much you love the world, that you gave your only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him wouldn't perish, but would find everlasting life, would find that life and life more abundant. The life that we desire on the inside before we know what a desire is. I thank you. I thank you that you made a way for us to get home. And Lord, that we can look at that cross and say, I deserve this, but you, you've done nothing wrong. And yet here you were on my behalf so that I may, I may be made right with God the Father. That you were raised for our justification to take the wrong off of us by putting your righteousness on us. That we might become your righteousness through Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You're good and your mercy endures forever. If you're here today and you're like the thief on the cross, you see, you, you've seen your own rebellion and you've seen the results from it. Understand, he's right there with you. And all you have to say is remember me in your kingdom and you'll be welcomed in just like him father i thank you i thank you for the change that began in our life when you opened our eyes to the sacrifice of jesus christ and everything that it purchased for us that it literally purchased us and i thank you as we begin to walk in that we see your kingdom more and more revealed until we get home thank you for your goodness and thank you for jesus as we get ready to go today, God, I thank you that you protect us and keep us safe. Let us keep these things in our heart and think on them often. Encourage us with it. I thank you, Lord God, for strength and peace and patience as we go through today and through this week. I thank you for the confidence that we have knowing that he is risen. And we thank you in his name, in Jesus' name.